love it. Welcome to another episode of FTU, Line Thompson in the Military. I'm your host, Tony Rodriguez, and today it's a special episode. I'm joined by Chris and Al, and today's topic will be why do veterans become conspiracy theorists once they leave the military? And I want to be, you know, a little serious about it, but not overly serious. And just before we start, just so everyone knows, I'm not trying to pick on veterans or brothers or sisters out there. I just worry about them, um, that they don't, that they're missing something in their life. Just so we understand, my theory is that when we're in the military, we're told we're part of the greatest fighting force that the world has ever seen. And then one day that just stops. From that point, what do we have? We've been told for 20 years, four to 20 years that, hey, we're super special. And now we're not. We were given, we took the oath to say that we're going to protect this nation from threats, both foreign and domestic, right? Your body's broken down. You don't have anything. Those people you thought were your friends are no longer calling you. They're, they weren't your friends. They were your coworkers. So now you just, you're missing something. So it's easier to invent this threat and say that our country's being overrun by whatever, Neo-Nazis, MS-13, the Chupacabra, I, I don't know, whatever threat you want to come up with. And then you go to Twitter or Facebook and you type about it. My hope is that if you're listening to this, that maybe you can take something from that and take that energy and apply it to something else in your community so you can help out our brothers and our sisters. Now, after that, I, I just babbled on for a few minutes. Chris and Al, uh, what do you think about that? Oh, I well, I I think you're I think you're spot on with that, Tony. I think there's um, it seems to be at least from what I've seen online and reading news reports, especially on well, you know the January sixth stuff and people that have been arrested since then. There's there there were a few people that were picked up that were in the guard and the reserves, but um, the military people that were arrested afterwards, they were all retirees. And I, I think, I think you're onto it. It just kind of, you go from being, you know, in a, in a, in a spot where your rank carries a certain amount of kind of carte blanche, you know what I mean? And then you go from that to being just a regular person. And maybe you're looking for, a, I don't know, man, just something, something to kind of, kind of hold everything together and sense of community, you know, yeah. That's, that, yeah. yeah. What Al's saying. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, you, you grab onto just some, some man, some weirdness. <laughs> so Al, I'll bounce past that over to you, my man. Well, d- I mean, there yeah, is. yeah, no, I, I definitely, uh, I, I, I can subscribe to that too, man. I, I understand how, um, Definitely. When you get in, I, I think it's all, maybe we don't even appreciate it enough. Um, 
while we're in it part of the game, but everything is so uh, procured for you. You know, your schedule, uh, you know, you're told what to wear and it just becomes a part of your daily program. So I, I can understand that feeling of loss once you get out and, you know, it may not ramp up immediately into the, ex- uh, the most extreme of the extreme theories, but um, I think, I think there is something to not just having been part of a team or, or part of a structure, but you specifically you're working for the government and, Maybe it's um, maybe it's some of that mystery, right? Like the the government is this big and spooky framework. We only see so much of it uh, during our time in the military. So the rest is really left to imagination. If no one's explaining that to you, right? In the, in the absence of of detailed explanation, you're just going to fill in the blanks on your own. And once you're cut off from it, especially like you know, you, you take an outsider look in. You know, you start pulling your own sources, doing your own research. Before you know it, you've You've built this behemoth of a thing uh, that, you know, maybe a, a select population on your favorite social media engine are, are feeding into, you know, they're, they're upvoting your, <laughs> your theories. So I, I can see where it starts. Yeah. I mean, I, I get that. Like, you know, you get, you, you're looking at this one thing, I get so many likes and or reposts or whatever. And yeah, you know, I mean, you know, you live in the side of a mountain for a bunch of months in Afghanistan and you're not showering and you're not eating and, you know, it's one meal a day and water's limited and whatever. And you're just trying to, you know, punch your way on through it. But there's got to be a reason. There has to be a reason. And on the back end, it just, it takes your head into some weird spots. Instead of just accepting that you're in the military and you're expendable, dude, that's just how it goes. Dude, Chris, so, actually, I'm, I'm gonna. Uh, I was curious if you could unpack a little further the the experience. I know a lot of guys listening here are vets themselves and have gone off to foreign lands. But since the for, for you in particular, yeah. Chris, the, the army sent you. Uh, you're deployed for like like ten years. I mean, they this <laughs> kept throwing you I back was, in the mix. Yes. yes, I mean, you know, no, I mean, okay. describe it because because you saw it as a young, you know. Um, a, a junior, uh, junior enlisted guy. Uh, you went back after you yeah. had some stripes on, you know. So, just like the different layers of that. I mean, were you able to to scale the the tree of knowledge? I mean, did, did you feel like you're slicing away a bigger a bigger piece of the puzzle every time, or was it as you described, like oh. you're just freezing your ass off on an outpost somewhere? <laughs> oh man, this is okay. So, not not to totally side track this conversation. I'm going to try to do it, man. As I'm thinking about it, give it like the short version. Um, So leading up to the invasion going into Iraq in 03, that was actually, that was my third deployment. So I had done a late 90s deployment to Kuwait on the Iraqi-Kuwaiti border. And then I had gone to Kosovo to do peacekeeping stuff shortly before going into Iraq. And the Kosovo won more than the Kuwait one. Like we were running combat operations, right? So fully kitted up 210 rounds rifle um, trucks have the guns on them. Like people are still blowing up. There's still shootings, murders, like people stepping on landmines, shit's blowing up. Like it's still, we had like guys in my company got purple hearts for that because she was still blowing up. Um, sorry, Tony, I'm swearing too much. Um, <laughs> and, uh, to transition from that into the initial invasion into Iraq, I 
the um, knowing how to run missions and prep and pack, you know, the, well, but we were in Humvees in Kosovo and then we were in World War III in Iraq, but prepping everything, prepping the demo, prep, like, just it, it, having gone through all that mission stuff, that carried over, but there was, I don't know how, the thing, like, the Iraqi army was so, it's not even, it wasn't even a fair fight. It wasn't even close to a fair fight. Like, it was just, it wasn't even a fair fight, man. Like, I mean, they, it was just, um, so as, as my first, like, like true combat experience, uh, yeah, it was, sorry, Tony, I said the F word, um, it was was just, they, uh, yeah, it wasn't a fair fight, man. It wasn't a fair, a fair fight. And a lot of those guys, you know, they were conscripts and they were, I mean, the night before we actually, the invasion started, we were on the border. We had Iraqi soldiers actually already crossing over. They had found gaps in the fence and they were already surrendering. Um, so as, as I was a corporal going into that and then fast forward whatever, seven, eight years later in Afghanistan. And I, I don't know, man, I was, I was, I, I went from being um, overly optimistic and hopeful that we're going to change the world to just whatever. We can just drop them all and it won't matter. And um, my viewpoint changed quite a bit. I was, uh, you know, the, um, at the start of the CA course where you have to introduce it. Well, at least when I did it, I'm sure it was the same for you, Al. You have to stand up and introduce yourself and like, Hey, this is, this is who I am. And this is my old job. And I, I stood up and I was like, Hey man, Hey man, I'm Chris. And, um, I blow shit up and I kill people. And, uh, McKelly and a couple of the other guys pulled me off afterwards. And like, you, you can't say that. Like you have to figure you out something you else. Say so, yeah. You don't blow <laughs> shit up and kill people your... anymore. That's, oh, I was like, no, that's what I do. That's what I do. Like, I, I blow shit up and I kill people. And, uh, yeah. Um, um, going through the CA course, though, looking, you know, as learning a whole bunch of stuff, I, I look back at a lot of decisions that were made either by me or by, you know, platoon leadership or whatever that may have had. lasting effects that we probably didn't want to have happen. And it it seemed right at the time. And um, looking back on it now, it probably wasn't. So, uh, I I think, uh, you know, you go, you go for, you know, it's the, it's the, you know, it's the touchdown on the one yard line. It's the easy win. And right. the easy, the easy six points, and um, in the big scheme of things, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know how much good it may have actually done. So, I, dude, I, I think you tapped into something big there, though, right? Like the um, you're talking about you're starting from where you're seeing everything through a pinhole, uh, you know, as a as a young enlistee, and you're, you're 
all you all you know is what's right in front of you, right? You're just yeah. taking orders. It's like that's all that troop leading procedure level. Everything's just a circle, and every day it's it's a bunch of nothing until there's something, and then it's a crisis, and then you know the the days roll on. But um, and then you you described how you kind of that progressed into that big lump of apathy. You know, it's like well, we we gave it our we gave it our all. We've been doing all the things we've been told to do. Uh, it's clearly not moving the needle. And I, I think there's, yeah, I guess to, yeah, I know we, we, we talk facetiously about conspiracy theories, but um, I think there is something to that, Tony, to, to the point you made starting off about the big why, you know, there's, especially once you start factoring in, um, when you're asking the hard questions about, uh, you know, why this mission, you know, why, why did this guy have to go get a purple heart? You know, why, why did this guy, uh, why, why did this guy lose his leg? today on the the same patrol i basically did yesterday we walked the same path and you know why why this guy this time around and not saying again i don't think it's this immediately you jump to well the government's out to get us and it was all orchestrated but uh, yeah i I think that doubt really starts creeping in like maybe maybe they don't know what they're doing and sure enough i mean afghanistan and chris right you went back for the the tail end of it too but they rolled out those afghan papers you know washington post the the, the big expose and we're like man, oh yeah. man they they really didn't know what they were doing you know and that was yeah. that was a really tough pill to swallow right uh it was, yeah it was I, I, those those reports well the write-ups from the new york times i spent i sent off to um my old platoon leaders and platoon sergeants. i'm like yeah yeah and it was it was so with the conspiracy theory thing, because after I sent that off to them, they were like, yeah, they, you know, the, our seniors weren't meant to die on those hills. We were meant to die on those hills. Like, that's what it was. Like, we were, we were the, you know, the fodder, the however, whatever, you know, title you want to put over it, but that's what we were. And I think when you look at the conspiracy theory thing, you know, the, the QAnons or whatever, the Alex Jones stuff, that, that may be the start of it. Like you're just, you're, uh, you're just, uh, you know, the pawn the whatever, but I mean, that's what, like, we're the military. That's what we are. Like we're the, you know, you're looking at the, at the chess checkerboard, whatever. Like, that's what we, like, that's who we are. That's what we are. That's what we do. Like, that's what we do. So I don't know. That, that may be it. That may have been the start of everything. Like, Oh, like I've been here for a year. I haven't done anything. Like, I don't feel like we, you know, shifted like what you said out. We didn't shift the needle. And I thought I was coming here to do all this good and I wanted to help out the country. And now it's whatever, eight months later. And I've, I've left the wire twice and nothing's happened and I'm bummed about it. And yeah, I mean, I, I could I could see how that could feed into someone's kind of mental space to yeah. to get them thinking something. I don't yeah. know, Tony. Let's bounce pass that over to you now, my man. It's been out and I last a bit. No, I totally agree with what you guys are saying. Um, how it develops, um, <clears throat> you know, my transition out of the military. You know, I post things, I try to post at least one motivational thing on LinkedIn once a week, right, to try to help people out, who veterans who are, might be struggling, looking for a job, right, um, because it is stressful until you get that offer. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, it is. 
because yes. that's a big leap, making that leap out of the military. Like, hey, man, this is the first time I kind of really have to adult because uh, I was adulting in the military, but I knew I was going to get paid, you know, and I knew my family was going to have health insurance. And I knew they could go on, on to post and at least buy groceries a, a little bit cheaper. You know, their military sucks, let's, let's be honest. But there's a lot of good things to it as well. Yeah. And so when you have to make that first, take that first step into being an adult, it's it's a little stressful. And so I just try to post something to let them know, like, hey, man, it'll be all right. You might not get the best job or the job that you, that you want, but you'll find a job. And that'll hold you over until you find the job that you want. Mm-hmm. Right. But I'm not going to say that my transition has been, you know, perfect um, because I, I still have a lot of time on my hands, even though I do this podcast and still get fidgety, you know. And so what do I do? I, I, you guys can't see it, but I have a 12 string and a, my six string back there. So I play that. I play my electric really poorly, but I'll play that uh, every now and then. Um, as long as you're playing it loud. That's but thing just to... That's what matters. Yes, yeah, so. <laughs> uh, ACDC, all you need to know is our three chords, right? It's, it's yep. pretty easy. And not, not too hard. Every distortion. Um, yes. The punk punk rock uh, mantra, man. Three chords and the truth. That's all you need. <laughs> Power chords all day. That's it. So, you know, I, I still get a little fidgety. Uh, and it would be easy for me to go down that conspiracy path, right? Um but what I did was before I got out, I realized, hey, there's still there's a lot, a lot of baggage up here that I need to take care of. Um, so I went to go see. I mentioned her before, Tracy. Man, it was rough. She made me cry. I'm not gonna lie, she did. Um, but she was up front. She told me, hey, this is how we're gonna approach it, and you know, you'll be in a better place. And I'll give you techniques so you can handle um, your 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 issues. Like right now at work, I I'm in this temporary office where. It's a really long office, and I'm facing the wall, and the door's behind me. And every two minutes, I'm turning around to see who's there. I have to keep telling my boss, "Hey, we need to get my office up because I'm going to lose my I'm going to lose my mind if I had to stay in here much longer." Um, because it's just stressing me out. So he's understanding. That I don't know when it'll be ready, but he's like, "Just get up, take as many breaks as you want, go for a drive." Be, be gone for an hour, two hours, whatever you need to do to decompress and then come back and you can get back to work. Do you need telework? Let me know. Go home and you can telework. Okay, so I have a very understanding boss. I know not a lot of people are, are going to have that, right? Um, so to bring it back to conspiracy theory, I, I think we need to address the issues at hand, whatever is underneath Um because what I found for me is, you know, there's there are a lot of things that I was second guessing, right? And there was a lot of stuff that I was just carrying. Like, why did this person get injured and not me? Why did I walk away from two ID blasts and an RPG with concussions? Nothing else. Didn't drop a single drop of blood. Why? What's special about me? Doesn't matter how much I think about it. Doesn't matter how much I dwell on it. I'm never going to have that answer. So I have to just leave that in the past. I, I can live with that and carry that every day for the rest of my life, or I can try to live the life that I want. And that energy that I was using, that I would have used for a conspiracy theory, why not help my community? 
That's why I'm running for political office. I don't want to run for the Senate or the House of Representatives. I want to stay in North Carolina and help here. I want to help my district right here in Hope Mills. That's why I'm volunteering for the VFW because our brothers and our sisters, they, they need some help. They're in bad shape, but nobody's checking on them. How, how hard is it? I can just say, hey, Siri, call this number. And Siri's going to do it for me. See, Siri just woke up. Um, so I'm, t- I'm taking that energy that I would have towards a conspiracy theory, and I'm trying to apply it towards somewhere else. And if somebody responds to me on Twitter or on Facebook about their theory, I get it. I get it. I'm not going to put you down. That's what you think. Okay. All I'm asking is please don't go out and harm anyone and don't harm yourself. You can, if that's what you need to get through the day, totally understand. We all handle things differently and that's fine. But well, maybe. I think, I think, yeah. Tony, with the conspiracy theory thing, you kind of hit on something at the start of when you were talking. Um, when people are in, like, there's, you know, when we were all in the same unit together, it was, you did everything together and it was, we were there from whatever, six in the morning till six at night or later, some days or whatever. Um, but we were at the time we were a family. And I think maybe one of the things might be when you get on some of these weird conspiracy theory chat groups, not, I mean, I've never been on them, but you start to feel that connection. People are backing you up. Like it's the same sort of thing, you know, like I feel this way. Oh yeah, man. Like that's awesome. And it, it, you go from being in whatever, you know, alpha company of the first of the five Oh, whatever to whatever chat room thing. And you get that, you get that sense of family and community again. That may be, that might be part of it. I don't know. Just a thought. Yeah. Um, yep, that that's a good point, Chris. And you know, like how many again, like I said, that's like a punch in the face to some people when they get out and they realize, oh, those people that I hung out with, they weren't really my friends. They were just yeah. co workers. Yep. Yep. Uh, yeah. I wanted to um I wanted to ask you guys, because I, I do think um, and I think Tony, you've had you've had a pretty diverse group of guests on the show, but you know, just to pitch a question to you guys directly because I know um, you guys ran the whole gamut. You did you did the twenty years, you know, you you, you hit all the, the the big events. You know, I, I think at this point too, it's it's interesting now after last year and the withdrawal from Afghanistan happened, and it seemed like the U.S. kind of closed the chapter on on GWAT. And you guys were effectively, you were there for the whole thing. You know, you saw from start to finish. And I think about those guys, and this may be more of a generational question, right? But I'm, I'm a bit of a younger guy. I came in late, right? Uh, like midway through, um, midway through GWAT. And I found the perspective of junior uh, enlisted guys so, so interesting from when I got in, especially those guys that got out. They didn't do the full 20. They didn't climb the ladder like you guys did. They didn't meet those milestones. They did maybe, you know, four to six years, uh, did their one or two deployments and then called it. And I, I wonder about that sense of that the same questions pop up for them, right? Because they... They did the thing. They did the thing that was told to them. They did the orders, followed them through, executed them. 
uh, had the same burning questions about what the hell are we doing out here, right? Mm-hmm. But then they they cut themselves off from the the uh, the organ early. You know, they they sliced umbilical cord and then went out and then tried to hack it on their own in, in the real world, and they they lost that sense of family sooner. They maybe didn't have time to really reconcile with it. Now, I'm bringing this up because I remember specifically like some young E3 Z4s that uh, I went out with back in uh, this one back in 2012 to Afghanistan. They came back, and I mean these guys are 17, 18 years old, right? Uh, and whatever they saw, it was the first time they saw it. You know, what something blew up near them, or there were, there were gunshots nearby, whatever the case was. And I remember there was a huge reckoning because all of their seniors were dudes that were like in the 06 surge and like in, uh, in Ramadi yeah. in 08, you know, they yeah. were, they were yep. in the invasion yep. and immediately, yep. dude, I heard stories. So, you know, they had the big badging ceremony, like, okay, here you guys get your deployment patch. Here's your, here's your CIB. Uh, here's your cab. Here's your CMB. And I heard in the bees after that, there were, especially like the young E5s, E6s. And you guys remember like what the E5s are especially full of piss and vinegar. They went back, you know, for the guys that was their second rotation. They're like, that wasn't a deployment. You guys are cowards. And they were like ripping CIBs off of dudes. Uh, They're saying like, you guys didn't earn this. You didn't even return fire. That wasn't a real firefight. You don't know, man. And it was, um, you know, I, yeah, I, I just, I'm not saying right, wrong, and different, right? It's, it's, it's a perspective thing. But like there's two different dynamics going there, right? There's the guys, I mean, the young dudes, Right, who are basically being told you're not allowed to feel that way about what happened because it wasn't what I went through, and then yeah. those you know those dudes that are tearing off the badges are obviously going through some stuff themselves that a lot of no, unresolved sure. conflict, yeah. you know. And yeah. um, I don't know if it's it's why exactly they resent the younger dudes, but um, sorry, man, I, I'm I know this is a no, long no, way no. of getting I, to it, but I think yeah, that that's a. So for me, I, I, can't, I can't speak for Tony. So for me, I, I came in in 97 and most of like when I was in basic and even past that, my first brigade commander and sergeant major, like everyone, they were all Vietnam vets. Right. Yeah. Like, and I remember, you know, Italian sergeant major comes on in basic training and like, you know, this, and that. This what's supposed to be whatever kind of speech he's going to give us as we prepare to go become combat engineers in our career, whatever it's going to be in. And it was, you know, sorry, Tony, I swore twice on that one. I'm sorry, man. But it was, <laughs> it was like, you, you, guys, you guys will never hack it. You're an embarrassment to your nation. Um, you couldn't do what we did. You all suck. So whatever, go through the next 17 weeks and, you know, you're never going to be as good as what we did. And it's like, well, I was, I was born in 77, man. Like the Vietnam War was over for a couple years before I was born. I don't know what you want from me. Yeah. Uh, so there was, uh, there, I mean, at, at that point there was still uh, hangover is not the word, but it was just, it was still, it was still there. Um, they, a lot of those guys hated on the desert storm dudes. Cause they were like, you sat for six months, you drove for, th- for three days and then you got a parade and whatever. You didn't do anything. I, I, I get it to a certain extent, but I don't at the same time. Cause it, it is, you know, I did take, take away the, 
our, our time in the 98th and the two deployments I did then, I did six combat deployments and they were all completely different from one another. There's no, you couldn't, you couldn't compare one to the one before it or the one after it. It just, the time you were there was the time that you were there and whatever was happening was what it was. It doesn't, it's not like, it's not the person's fault for when they showed up, whenever they showed up in relation to the timeline of the conflict. Right. You know, I, uh, I mean, however you want to look at it, like Tony and I either had the good luck or the bad luck to be there at the start, you know, and, and, to, and to be there, you know, I mean, my last deployment, I mean, technically combat zone, but I was, I was on staff and I was briefing general funk and, just doing division stuff and whatever. There was no shots fired, no nothing, sure. but um, still in Iraq, still a combat zone, whatever. But I, I like, I, I, I sort of get it. I sort of get it. You know, guys being upset and like you, you, you weren't, you didn't go through what I went through, but at the same time, it just, the experiences vary from person to person, man. And it's not, it's not their fault that they didn't go through the, the, you know, blood guts and everything that you had to go through to get their CIB or, or cab or CMB or whatever. It's not like they, they didn't have any say over that. You can't, you can't fault them for whatever the situation was that got them that right. badge. It, no, it's, I mean, and you guys, you guys, you know, you guys have that perspective. I mean, you know, for every, every time I've talked to y'all, like that's, I think having the grace, you know, to, uh, to be able to impart that and then like pass that grace on to the, um, maybe the next generation is, is big, but I, and, and Tony, I promise I was going to link this back to your, your original conversation topic here, but I think that is the serious side of it, right? You know, it's, we, we could poke fun at these conspiracy theories and pull them apart, by the way, I appreciate you guys not going and, and starting to just list conspiracy theories and why they're right or wrong because we would be here all night. But um, just yeah, in, in general, right, I think it it leads back to that sense of wanting to belong to something, especially if you feel like that's been taken from you. And I, the reason I got into this, uh, got onto this topic, some of those junior enlisted guys, you know, I, I keep in touch with uh, with a, a fair share of the dudes actually um, that, that were there in 2012. And I can't tell you uh, how many times over the last decade uh, I've gotten phone calls like, hey, so-and-so is, is going off the deep end. Hey, uh, we got to check in with so-and-so. He's uh, last, last I heard, he was on a plane, mad at his girlfriend, and I think he's going to do something dangerous. We got to check in. And especially you know with the holidays coming up, this is a really tough time. Um, I, unfortunately, you know, we lost a few of those guys. It was too late. And I think the first question that popped up, particularly among the senior guys that had done a few of these deployments, they were like, really that guy? That was one deployment. I wouldn't even, wouldn't even do it. It wasn't even that hard. And you know that there are so many things that lead into behavioral health and, and why people, uh, you know, make, make that unfortunate decision. But I, you can't help but wonder maybe part of that was not being able to resolve whatever they went through because they weren't really given a chance. It, it was, yeah. Hey, whatever you went through, man, that was light. That was, that was easy, dude. Don't even, don't even try to tell me 
that you're struggling. Let me tell you about struggle. And it's Tony. I remember last episode we talked about the the PTSD one upsmanship. Uh, it's horrible. It's a horrible game to play. Yeah, but I'm it, the world uh, champion of PTSD. It's like you can have a bro because I don't want that. I don't yeah, want to keep that belt, dude. That's, yeah, let me know where I can melt that belt. Yeah, you yeah. Have it. That's. Yeah. I think there's there's something to that. You should absolutely, you know, appreciate what you. That, that's why I, like, I love talking to you guys, and you know, you reflect back on that time. But I think part of being able to hang it up is. Uh, you know, being proud of what you did, but feeling satisfied, filling up whatever that meter is. And some of those guys, you know, whether they spend four years or 30 years in, some of those guys that spent 30 years, it wasn't enough. I, I think maybe they just didn't quite fill up that tank enough and they're they're still grabbing for it, even though they're technically not supposed to be wearing the uniform. So yeah, I wonder about that. Yeah, I, I, I definitely think you're hitting on some stuff there, Al. I, um, we... You know, my, my time at Drum before I switched over to CA, I was in the same unit for like just short of eight years, right? So we, there was a bunch of us that stayed through the whole thing, but there was, there was, you know, you had the usual turnover and people kind of coming and going. Um, and we've had since people have gotten out, you know, one reason or another, people have passed away. We've made it a point to like we've started like a whatsapp group and like a facebook page for everyone to start to check on people because like yeah you know like (laughs) deployments vary man just um, they vary you know you can you can go through you know the worst stuff Oh, whatever. And then, you know, the next appointment, it's not as bad as it was. And, but you got like some E2 that's on there. That's his first appointment. That's all he knows. And that's not, that's not their fault, but they may, there may be an incident during that where you're like, this is absolutely nothing. The easiest cakewalk ever that just shatters them to their core. You have to be able to talk with them and, and still have, those conversations and let them like, if you, if you, if you're the, I'm sorry, Cam. but no, like, you're like, Oh, you didn't do this, 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 and this. No, they didn't, but that's not their fault. They didn't do it, but they saw this or experienced this and that's affecting them in this way. And that's not a bad thing. Like that's not their fault that that's how, that's how they're processing it. Let them process it how they need to, because, you know, I mean, that's gnarly, you know, like, I, I mean, I remember, you know, the, in Kosovo, I, you know, seeing the first person blown apart, like blown, like blown, blown, blown apart, just being, wow, well, and, and just taking a second, just kind of being, it took a minute to kind of be like, all right, well, I guess that's what it looks like. That's what happens when you step on a landmine. And, uh, just because they didn't go through what you went through doesn't, you know, everyone processes everything differently. So whatever that experience was for that person, you can't fault them for that. If they are having a hard time processing that, like, you know, we're the U S is in a war zone, you know, this isn't, you're not growing up in a spot where it's, everything's blown up and it's IEDs and it's just crazy and incoming, you know, whatever 
I mean, just look at the Ukraine, like kids there that are six or seven right now are going to grow up and just, man, I can't, I can't imagine what their lives are going to be like as they try to process everything as they mature and, and become adults. We don't have that here. So to, to see a, a dead, you know, a, a whatever, um, it's going to affect people differently. So to, to kind of like poo poo people, you know, cause you weren't there and you didn't do this and that. I don't know, man. I think that's, I, I, I get, I get being frustrated and angry. Like when I got back in 07, um, after doing good Lord, 16 months, 16 and a half months in Afghanistan, like it was literally like, I have not done enough violence. Like I need to do more <laughs> and just being mad at everything. Like I get that, but it, it's not their fault. Like you can't, you can't blame some private who just came in that you didn't do what I did. No, they didn't. And that's okay. Yeah. I think there's, there's something to that. I don't know what the, the right way to phrase this is. Maybe unresolved trauma or just that feeling that you, you didn't, you didn't do enough violence. You got to go back and go through again. Um, I, I don't know. It's, but I, I do think it lends itself it, in a way, connecting back to what you guys have brought up already, um, that same feeling of family, that feeling of wanting to be close to something, uh, you know, maybe that was, maybe that's what January 6th was for some of these guys. Hey, I didn't, yeah. I didn't get into that. Yeah. I didn't get to that big firefight, the big conflict, like uh, my platoon sergeant always used to tell stories about, but this, this is my, this is my time to shine. Right? This is my battle. Yeah. Here, here I come. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and I, I just, just to flag something, uh, that you mentioned that I, I think is, is pretty awesome. You know, just keeping in touch with the guys. Um, I think we definitely, you know, it, it's tough, right? Everyone's got their own things going on. Uh, you know, you get away from the army so you can get off those alert rosters, right? You don't want to be part of a, a million group text that about whatever, whatever meeting is coming up or, or, you know, whatever due out is coming. But I think that's huge. Um, it is ultimately, it's a pretty small community and it means a lot. You know, it means a lot, especially from, from you guys, you know, that have done, had gone the distance. You've done all 20 years. You know, you've, you've, you've seen, you were there, you were there for the, the great war. Right. Um, and I, I think it means great, a lot great to hear from you guys. Great, yeah, very subjective, very subjective terms. Yeah. Um, it, it means a lot though, to, to hear from you guys and, and stay connected. Um, yeah, you know, I wonder about those guys who, who didn't do the, do the full 20 and then they're left really to invent the rest of the story. And it's hard not to be mad at the government in some instances. Um, I, I always joke with my civilian friends that, uh, whenever they bring up conspiracy theories that feature the government prominently, I'm like, man, if, if you could see Department of State try to do get something done with Department of Defense, it would dispel any notion whatsoever <laughs> of of like some great conspiracy where a bunch of like a shadowy cabal is is coming together to burn this thing down. Like we we can barely barely come together for like a a, a clean sweep, you know. <laughs> it's oh, I know. So, for that. It, my my twenty eighteen deployment to Baghdad, man. There was um. Who are they? The, the Yazidis. The it is the. It's not even one percent of the population of Iraq. It's it's like the point zero one percent, whatever. They're they're the Christian population in Iraq, and they made a complaint that they were not getting 
um, the help that they thought they needed to recover post ISIS. So I, I spent a good chunk of that deployment um, at the embassy, right? So like union three, saw them all, whatever. Um, cool. Right after that report came out from the, the Yazidis being like, we don't think we're getting the help that we need, which they were this, like this teeniest, tiniest, smallest, like whatever. Um, the State Department shut down. They were, they had congressional investigators come on in. Um you can ask Matt this. He'll tell you. Like, shut the entire embassy down because Pence and Trump were beyond upset that this they, like the Christian population of Iraq, wasn't getting the support they needed. So everything else that was going on, right, like all the post-ISIS reconstruction stuff, everything... I, dude, I was I was bouncing between the embassy and like the UN compound and like the British embassy. Like I was like all of these things that were that were trying to be done, none of it mattered because was sufficient support. It shut the entire embassy down in Baghdad. Okay, just an admin break, real quick. So for those of you listening, um, the one and only rule I have is no f bombs on this show. And I dropped like six. So, seven. yeah. So um, we're recording this like right before Thanksgiving. So you're probably not going to hear this until after the first of the year because I'm horrible. <laughs> I take my time at editing uh, when it's something simple and having to bleep things out is going to take me a while. So it's probably going to take me well over a month to uh, edit these out. So Thanks. Yeah, and I, I apologize to you, Tony. I apologize to you, Al. Um, I'm, it's New I'm, Jersey I'm, in you, man. It's it's uh... dude. It is, man. I've lost the accent, but the you know the attitude's still there. So it's like uh, you know, um, what is that movie? Old school, right? You just have to say earmuffs. Yeah, yeah. earmuffs. <laughs> yeah. If you're listening, earmuffs. That's no, right, but yeah. I'm, I'm, I do. I do. Hi, everyone. So that's the end of part one of the conspiracy theory uh, episode. I just want to say thank you to Al and to Chris for being on. And as I stated previously, um, we recorded that episode right before Thanksgiving. And it is the week before Christmas. Um, And hopefully I'll have part two out here shortly uh, after I post this one because I haven't edited that one yet. And it's going to take me some time. Um, so again, thank you for listening. If you want to be on, please email me at arantonio-rodriguez98 at gmail.com. I'd love to have you on. You can discuss whatever um, whatever's on your mind, whatever you deem is important. Or if you just have a business uh, that you want to promote, a veteran-owned business, please uh, let me know and you can come on. Again, my only rule is no F-bombs and you need to severely, <laughs> severely limit the cursing on this show. So again, I hope you have a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. And as always, zot, 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 and roll tide.